Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that stomps its way through history every day of the week. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're continuing our march to Halloween with a look at Japan's original movie monster, the one and only Godzilla. The day was October 27, 1954. The King of the Monsters made his big-screen debut when the original Godzilla premiered in Nagoya, Japan. The now-classic film, titled Gojira in its native country, received a wide release in Japan six days later. Then, in 1956, a dubbed and heavily edited version of the film was released in the United States under the title Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Although envisioned as a standalone film, the success of the original Godzilla ultimately led to dozens of sequels and reimaginings. Later installments in the blooming franchise tended toward humor and spectacle, but the first entry isn't the goofy, campy monster movie you might expect. While it certainly has action scenes and cheesy special effects, the film's tone is gloomy and somber, and it treats the disaster of a giant rampaging lizard with deadly seriousness. That's because the original film was released just nine years after the atomic bombs dropped by the United States killed more than 200,000 Japanese civilians and soldiers. When the lights went dark in the theater on opening night, the Japanese were still grappling with nuclear fallout, lingering radiation sickness and disfigurements, and the occupation of their country by a hostile foreign power. The film they were about to see was very much an allegory for that nuclear destruction, with the eponymous monster serving as the embodiment of what director Ishiro Honda called the invisible fear, the ever-present dread 
that another nuclear bomb might fall at any moment. Because of Japan's shared cultural trauma, Godzilla, or Gojira, deeply resonated with Japanese audiences, and many moviegoers reportedly left the theater in tears after seeing it. At the time, the American military had forbidden discussion of atomic bombs, but through Honda's film, the public was given the chance to confront and come to terms with its feelings on the subject, a painful but necessary step on the road to catharsis. The plot of the film not only echoed the recent past of wartime Japan, but also its present in 1954. A few months before Godzilla's premiere, a fishing boat called the Lucky Dragon 5 was struck by the fallout of U.S. nuclear testing at Bikini Atoll. And in the movie, a similar nuclear test stirs the primordial Gojira from its slumber in the Pacific Ocean, causing it to come ashore and wreak its vengeance on the humans who disturbed it. The film leaves the origin of the monster ambiguous, with a scientist character simply describing it as a kind of transitional creature, somewhere between the marine reptiles and the evolving terrestrial animals. However, one of the producers, Tamoyuki Tanaka, later went on record saying that his original intention was for Godzilla to be, quote, a dinosaur sleeping in the southern hemisphere that had been awakened and transformed into a giant by the atomic bomb. The design of Godzilla reflects that origin as well. Its giant stature and mushroom-shaped head evoke the explosive cloud produced by the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and its scaly, burnt black skin and spiked back resemble the haunting figures of those who survived the nuclear blasts. Even the creature's iconic roar isn't so much a projection of strength or dominance as it is a mournful cry of pain. The original Godzilla is fascinating from a sociological perspective, but it's also a great example of the ingenuity and creativity of Japanese filmmaking. Take that otherworldly roar, for instance. The sound effects team tried to create it using real-world animal sounds, but none of them were a good match for the monster on screen. They all felt too familiar. But then the film's composer, Akira Ifukube, had an epiphany. Why not use a musical instrument to make the roar instead? So here's what he did. He donned a pair of leather gloves, coated them in pine tar resin, and then dragged his fingers up and down the E-string of a broken-down double bass. The distressed noise that resulted became the signature sound of Godzilla, and it's been the basis of the creature's roar ever since. Another instance of out-of-the-box thinking was how the filmmakers created their monster star. Earlier sci-fi movies, such as King Kong, had employed stop-motion figures to bring their creatures to life, but for Gojira, the effect was achieved by an actor in a costume, aided by miniature models and camera tricks to help him look enormous. The man inside the monster was a Japanese actor named Haru Nakajima. He starred in the original 1954 film and then reprised the role for 11 sequels. Nakajima clearly got well acquainted with the scaly suit over time, but when he first landed the role, he didn't even know what the character would look like. All he knew was that it would be some kind of ancient sea creature that would be awakened by an underwater test of the H-bomb. With nothing else to go on, Nakajima prepared for the role by spending 10 days at the zoo, 
observing the movements of elephants, gorillas, and bears. But no amount of research could prepare Nakajima for the reality of being stuffed inside a giant lizard suit. The original costume was notoriously difficult to move in because it was made from ready-mixed concrete and weighed about 220 pounds. Concrete was the best option available in 1954, as rubber was still hard to come by in early post-war Japan. As you might imagine, though, it made the suit cumbersome and suffocatingly hot. In fact, Nakajima said he sweated so much in the original suit that after a day of filming, he could wring out the perspiration from his undershirt and fill half a bucket. Not only was Nakajima a team player, he was a bit of a pioneer, too, when it comes to the kind of acting he was doing. It would later give rise to a whole new genre known as tankusatsu, which heavily featured practical effects, including actors wearing giant monster costumes. Thousands of movies and TV shows were and still are made using that process, and Nakajima was the forefather of them all. Oh, and if you thought it was strange that Nakajima wasn't sure what kind of creature Godzilla was going to be, that's only because the film's producers weren't sure either. Originally, it was just going to be a giant mutant octopus, which could have put Nakajima out of a job, since they could have just set loose a real octopus on those miniature cities. Thankfully, though, the creative team decided to take a weirder approach, one that actually resulted in the character's Japanese name, Gojira. At one point during development, the plan was for the monster to be a cross between a gorilla and a whale. And even though that idea was eventually scrapped in favor of a more dinosaur-like design, they kept the original name, which is a portmanteau of the Japanese words for gorilla and whale. Although critics didn't think much of Gojira upon its release, audiences were captivated, and the Toho studio quickly put together plans to make more movies starring its breakout monster. They're still at it today, too, as 2023 marked the release of the 37th film in the series, with several more installments planned for the years ahead. As a result, Godzilla now holds the record for the longest ongoing film franchise in history, beating its second-place competitor, James Bond, by a full eight years. What's really interesting, though, is how the Godzilla series has managed to stay relevant for so long. The tone of the movies and even the characters' role in them, are always changing to better align with the audience of the era. In the 1960s, for example, when Japan's post-war economy was rebounding, Godzilla loosened up a bit. For a while, he was portrayed as a cranky public menace, a bully who had to be chased off by the army or by a more good-natured monster, like Mothra. Then, he gradually became a more heroic figure who would defend Japan from other invading monsters even if he did still trash a few cities in the process. The transformation of Godzilla from a symbol of national trauma to something more like a protective deity is a testament to the endurance and adaptability of both the character and the nation that birthed it. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again soon for another spooky day in history class. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one listen to a really good cry with radhi devlukia on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts